Hey, welcome everybody to a very unique episode of Cloud and Clear, where we have a very special guest. He spoke at our all hands a few weeks ago, and he also recently had a very relevant gig that I'll let him talk about, but he's joining us all the way from Sweden, I believe is probably where he is, his home. Um, and he and his organization have, I would say reinvented re-exposed, distilled, dare I say perfected, not only the art and science and magic of storytelling, but the training and the teaching and the moving forward of the craft of storytelling. He's my very special guest. I've been a fan of his for a long time, probably longer than he knows. Please welcome David J.P. Phillips. Hello, Tony. It is an absolute pleasure to be with you. And yes, I am broadcasting from Viking land, Sweden at the moment. That's awesome. That is, hey, I got it, I got it right. And, and, and I appreciated learning about you from, of course, of all places, YouTube and the internet. And what I remember is your TED Talk was so uh, eye-opening for me because it's the first time that it, was clear to me that there's an actual anthropological evolutionary science to storytelling. And it was like my mind completely exploded how you had breaking, broken it down to its key components and were expressing it in a way that was concurrently demonstrative of the very thing you were talking about as you were speaking in front of this audience. It was remarkable for me to see, and I'm sure remarkable for you in your evolution as a, uh, as, a as someone who's made a big impact on the world already. It was good fun. I, I have never heard anybody summarize that talk as eloquently as you just did. So that was brilliant. I don't think I've got anything to add besides that. <laughs> Well, I know it was good fun. I loved it. I loved the bit where I said in that talk, I said, okay, are you ready to feel dopamine? Are you? Because just so you know, it's going to feel awesome. And then it's going to feel more awesome. And then it's going to feel fantastic. And then it's going to be painful. And then it's going to be fantastic again. So you said, okay, otherwise you'll just have to walk out of the room. And then I began and you could see the skeptics going like, he's not going to inject no dopamine into my brain. And right. then when I was done, they, they went like, oh, sh it actually did it, didn't it? It just Yeah, it was almost like a magician or a hypnotist, <laughs> except it was not an illusion. No. Yeah. It was that very was real. Fun. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I was quite proud of coming up with that concept. Yeah, I, I just I started then, you know, listening to more and, and I've seen, you know, uh, the platform you create, the more sort of thought leadership you create. But most recently, I know you've been very active on LinkedIn, as am I, and you posted something that I want to talk about because you seem very excited about it. And I remember for us, uh, this company has been obviously meant everything to us in our history of, of SADA, but... Um, I remember when I was in a position where we're, you know, getting like, like this name that we've admired for so long to partner with us or to buy from us or to hire us. And you recently had a talk um, with in front of Googlers. Google had hired you. And I'd love to hear everything about that engagement. 
Yeah, I, I, that was quite enjoyable. Uh, we can, I kind of just received an email where they went like, hey, this is Google. And we want to train 400 salespeople in New York in storytelling. And I'm like, Google who? Well, Google.com. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. It could be. Maybe. Are you sure? Yeah. And it was. And they were like the most brilliant, beautiful, most friendly people I have ever had as a client. And we set up four sessions where we went through four hours of storytelling training or story selling, storytelling. And it was, uh, it was awesome. But why do you think that is that now it's, you know, the year 2021, there is this seemingly renewed interest and appreciation for the role of storytelling in society and culture and business where this is, you know, this is a tradition as old as humanity itself. Mm. Why do you think it's coming up now? And what's your, how do you, how did you develop such a deep appreciation of it and really became, I mean, the chief storyteller of our time right now in terms of getting people oh. to think about the importance <laughs> and learning how to do it well? Like, yeah. why is not, why 2021, 2020? It's like, this has been around forever, right? It's been around forever, yeah. I think it's uh, kind of the final frontier. We've been trying different kind of sales techniques and sales schools and so on and so forth. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, our brain is built for stories. It's built for narratives. And usually when I ask people, you know, are you a storyteller? And they say, most commonly they say no. And I say, well, that's odd then. Why have you told at least 100 stories today? And they go, why haven't? And I go, well, you have. Because you've easily repeated the past 50 times a day. You've probably repeated events, situations, and you've replayed them in your head. Could that be true? And they go like, yes. And then you probably use that to project into your future and going, what will happen if I go into this meeting and I say this? What will happen if this happens? So you're constantly creating events in the future and replaying events from the past. This is how your brain works. And it's the foundation of psychology. So when you're standing in front of a client, like the Googlers in this case, or anybody, what you're really doing is if you're not telling stories, you're kind of just disturbing the communication. You're trying to take your story in your head, build slides of it, send that over to the client, which has to have a look at the slides, and then shove that up into their brain to create a story out of it. But if you tell the story to begin with, you control the narrative. It's been around since the beginning of time. Like if you think about how all information was conveyed and all teaching was done and all culture was... Um, solidified, established, and passed on from person to person, village to village, uh, generation to generation before writing. Writing is only 4,000 years old, right? Roughly. Yeah. Before writing, mm. that's all we had. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And is that the yeah. reason why it's so ingrained in us? Probably, yeah. It's, I, you know, you could argue when it began, but... Some, some scientists argue that even the Homo erectus used narratives to describe the um, 
the effects of what they did because they traveled weird distances. They, 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 they kind of migrated to places that would have been impossible to migrate to if they weren't able to explain cause and effect to their comrades. So they had to say something of the likes. If we take this canoe, we get into that piece of water and we paddle to that side, we can eat more. That's a story. That's a narrative. That's a story of taking the canoe to the <laughs> other side. And then when they got there, they had to tell their friends. So they had to go like, we got the canoe, put it in the water, we went to the other side and we got fed. Brilliant. So and the basis of things, stories is, yeah, it's just the foundation of our psychology and tapping into that is incredibly powerful especially when you go down and you have a look at the neurotransmitters and the signaling substances and the hormones that these stories create in our brains why why do you think that then most people believe and i agree with you like most people don't believe that they're funny most people don't believe or whatever why why do you think that also most people don't believe that they're good storytellers Well, I guess it's a, it's, it's a skill, Tony. It's a skill. You have to learn how to do stories. Everybody can tell stories in their head. Um, and even there, people are not equally good at it. So imagine that there are people that tell sad stories, bad stories, catastrophical stories in their head about their future and they repeat the bad stuff in their past. They are vicious storytellers to themselves right? and then you have mm -hmm. storytellers which like you in your vision for your company where you look into the future and you go like we can create this we can achieve this and the people who are great storytellers in themselves come further in life and then you have a look at but that story is in your head so when you want to motivate your person your 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 staff at sada you have to stand up and you have to Give them your story in your head to them so that they will want to fight for it. Now, that yeah. process of moving a story from your head to your mouth and make that interesting requires a little bit of skill. Not a lot. That's the strange thing, though. You know, I can easily train anybody to become a good storyteller in like two hours and, and they can use that for the rest of their life. It's it's insanely easy to become a, at least a good storyteller. You want to become a really good storyteller, then you have to practice. Why um, and when, I should say, did you realize that this craft can be taught and it can be learned? And how and when did you start breaking down uh i call it almost like it's a pe periodic chart of skills right and tactics uh that invoke <laughs> certain things um at what point in your life did all of this start to sort of come together in a structure that you feel like you could scale to you know thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of people and so on millions of people um well, I, it, it depends on it depends on which skill I'm looking at in what I do. So when when it comes to public speaking, which is my profession, I look at it. There are several different disciplines in public speaking. Storytelling is one discipline of many. Being able to use PowerPoint or visual aids is one discipline. 
using rhetorics to convey your message in speeches is one discipline. And there are there are several of these disciplines. And the one that you may be referring to is the, my last TED talk where I studied uh, 5,000 speakers for seven years to distill 110 skills yeah, that true. we humans use. Okay, there are a couple of more, but every human that presents can be dissected into these 110 skills. Uh, that I didn't create that to create a product. What actually happened was that about 10 years ago when I was coaching people, I noticed that I had a look at you and I see that you're nodding at the moment. And that means that you're fulfilling skill number 84. So then I asked myself, okay, so what does nodding mean? Well, apparently that increases the empathetic impression. So it means that you show me that you like what I'm saying and that you're a good listener. So I thought, what happens if I give a skill 84 to somebody else? And then I got Mm -hmm. feedback from them. And they went like, my God, people are actually talking to me better and more now. And I went like, cool, I wonder if there are more skills like this. So I started just detailing every skill I could find. And I think I had like, I I, I was somewhere around 3,000 people I'd studied. And then I started realizing that, my gosh, maybe we could like, productify this, make a product out of it. So I asked my team to yeah. help out with the last 2,000. And then um, at the end, I just couldn't find anything more. I, if, there are probably more, but I could just so rare. So the cool thing with this is that I can look at any public speaker and I can tell them more or less exactly how many points they score between 0 to 110. Uh, so a person could then achieve uh, 40 points. And I can then say that if you're a manager or a salesperson and you're achieving 40 points, you'll probably not do very well, either as a manager nor a salesperson. However, if you're scoring up to the 60, 65s, then you're doing well. If you're scoring up to the 75, 80s, well, then you're pretty unique. Then we're talking, uh, well, we're talking Steve Jobs level. He was around uh, 75. When he stood up on stage, when he spoke, the world listened. A very few leaders that do that at that level. That's the super intriguing part of this is turning something that seems completely qualitative. And, you know, I can imagine like this, the process of studying speakers, literally, it's like watching them over and over and over again and sort of annotating, breaking down something visual and qualitative into, into quantifiable and unique and numerical skills up to 110 plus. I can only imagine like the level of effort that went into that. But, you know, I think for the for the person like for me, before I saw your tech talk, it wasn't even very evident to me that uh, any talk is actually a, a, a complex composition of a, of a collection of skills like that aha moment to me in your TED talk was like what was um, eye opening. And then, of course, to then extrapolate that fact to say, well, if you can break it down to 110 things, then it's something you can teach because people can consume sort of bite-sized, actionable tactics until it becomes more natural and organic for them. Of course, I've studied other uh, great speakers and I've, I've valued the skill of communication for many years because you have to, as a leader of any organization, as you know, get better at it over time, it's impossible to lead a group or sell to a customer or anything like that without uh, 
being at least a pretty good storyteller. But it was the it was the first time I broke it. I saw it broken down into into something that was like a playbook that you could run to to specifically improve on those on those key areas. Um, and we know, and I think this is probably true for all brands, all companies is uh, at the end of the day, their legacy or their reputation or their brand is completely dependent on not only the stories that they tell about themselves, but the stories that are told about them. And that's actually the reason we invited you to our all hands, because uh, thematically what you did or what you do uh, is so relevant to the part of our company's um, set of things we want to improve and our ability to, to tell those stories. So it's sort of a perfect storm of our realization as a company, but now it seems, of course, the more the market's realization that uh that it's possible to become a better storyteller but it's also very necessary to to be able to make a certain human connection whether it's with your employees or your teams or your customers or your partners one thing i wanted to ask you is how do you convert those those skills and, and tactics into a delivery that is not just looks authentic, but it is is authentic. Because I think humans have a spidey sense for 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 recognizing authenticity, and I think that's very hard to fake. So, how do you yeah. see and the people that you've coached over the years turn those skills into what becomes authentic communication? So this brilliant question, and my first answer would be that whenever you start using skills in anything, I think I don't play golf, but I've heard that when you start learning a new swing in golf, you become a little bit worse at playing golf for a little while, and then you become better after a while when you've learned that swing. And uh, and these skills can be seen a little bit like that. In, in a way, in a way, they can be seen a little bit like that. It could be, for instance... The most important skill of all the 110 to remove or to become a pro in is to remove your filler sounds. The filler sounds has a tendency to convey things that you might not want them to convey because people use filler sounds most frequently when they are lying or when they don't want to, they don't know what to say or they lose the train, train of thought or they, they seem uncertain, unsure, afraid, nervous, or when they think. There are a bunch of options why we do filler sounds. And if you leave it up to the audience to figure out why you're using a filler sound, well, then you're playing a wild game of poker. So what you need to do is you have to make your message as clear as possible. And stopping to do filler sounds can be a little bit tough to begin with. So imagine a person is in the middle of their presentation and suddenly they figure out that they've done some filler sound. You can see that in their brain. And obviously that is a little bit disturbing to the message as a whole. But after a while, they get that working for them, for them and then they can dive into the next one. And, and in this, you know, of, of all these 110 skills, 
there is one skill, which is, I guess, not a skill, but it is. And that is uh, authenticity, right? So yeah. what that means is, is something I call synchronicity, authenticity, synchronicity. And it goes like this. If you walk into a room and you see somebody in the room and they are not synchronized in their communication, you feel, you get a, a bad feeling in your stomach. Something's off. And the five levels of synchronization I talk about or authenticity is this, that when what you say is synced with how you say it and it's synced with your body language and it's synced with your gestures and it's synced with your facial expression. When all of those five are synced and you meet a person where all five are synchronized, you kind of fall in love with them. You're like, I trust you. I believe you. It's just, it's just transparent. There's nothing in between you and that person. But when you've got people who just deliver on three of these, say, for instance, that what they're saying is matching how they're saying it, but their facial expression is say, saying something else and their body language is saying something else and the gestures may, may say something else as well. Then we, that's, something just doesn't add up. And when a person then goes up on stage, they'll fail if they're not synchronized. You know, the, the more synchronized they are, the, the more authentic and, and uh, the more authentic they will be perceived. And that's when they get, get their true home runs. And there are ways to get into that authenticity quickly when you start your presentation. So like a super hack is this. If you are standing there, going up on stage, three minutes left, 5,000 in the audience, one of the most critical presentations you've done in your life. Authenticity is, is, is the most important thing. But in your head, you're going through, how should I start? And your heart is pounding. You, you start feeling nervous. And if you go up in that state, nah, nah, you won't be synchronized. But if you do this, if you inject oxytocin, which is a uh, neuropeptide, on command, your personality will change to the better. And the way I do that is that I pick up my mobile phone and I look at photos of my daughter and I start tearing up. And I get, I get emotional. And the cool thing with oxytocin is that oxytocin and cortisol cannot coexist. So it's either oxytocin or it's cortisol going on in your blood. So when I walk up now with oxytocin in my system, I just walk up on stage, I land, I look them in the eye, I care, I love, I appreciate, and I'm there for them. If I didn't spend two minutes doing that, and I went up with cortisol, I would have been there for myself in my own script, with my own slides, and there would have been a distance between me and the audience. So there are fairly easy like quick tips to move into different states to create that kind of authenticity. I, lo I love that. I mean, taking it down to uh, biochemistry and, and uh, uh, to that level, I mean, that's, that was the uh, remarkable thing as I started studying your work, how it's completely hormone-based and how you can trigger certain things. But I think even more interesting is... Um, how you framed 
your state of mind being so impactful to the sense of authenticity that you uh, convey. And it almost sounded like when you talked about synchronicity, um, I think about something you posted recently, but I also think about the definition of being at peace or almost like almost the definition of, of happiness as well. And I say, you know, happiness is when your thoughts, your actions and your words are in sync. When the things you say are the things that you feel, meaning you're just being honest, and then your actions support the things that you say and you feel, that is when, you know, there's very little stress. And I think that's somewhat a definition of happiness. And I've seen that um, you recently posted your own evolution of happiness. It was on a summer holiday every year in Sweden where you did a selfie mm. and and you talked about your own sort of happiness arc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the authentic smile. Uh, do you yeah. want to talk about that journey a little bit? Because I think it's probably no accident that the correlation of your success had something to do with this arc. It wasn't the success that caused the change. I think it was like the change that maybe caused the success. Mm. But that's what I want to get yeah. your uh, the background on that posting and what it meant to you. Mm. Well, that's a very, very good analysis. And uh, you're, you're dead right. And uh, I think during the last five or six years, I've become some kind of an, uh, at least an internal expert on this. Because uh, about six years ago, I realized that I was depressed and I had been depressed uh, my entire life. I, um, I, 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 I was out walking with my wife and I was struck by an emotion I'd never felt. And she looked at me and she said... Uh, and what's going on, David? And I explained the sensation to her. And then she laughed a little bit, like giggled. And then she said, well, that's, um, that's happiness, David. Sounds like happiness, David. I'm like, oh, my God. Because then I realized that I hadn't felt happiness. I couldn't, I couldn't remember that I've ever felt happiness. And then I realized that I had been depressed for 19 years of my life. And then um, I guess the luxury of this was that Suddenly, I could use my over-analytical brain to dissect my own depression, where it came from, and how to reverse it um, based on both neurology and biology. Because obviously, based on a neurological perspective, I had pathways in my brain which were so heavily repeated that it became the default thinking. And then those pathways induced the signaling substance and the hormones that made me sad. So I had to reverse. I went, I didn't have to. I, I think I, it was just, I didn't, I, <laughs> the happiness in that walk went in just five minutes. It just went away. And I was like, oh my God, I want to feel that again. I want to feel that again. If that's the last thing I do, I want to feel that again. And I went back to the books and I went like, what have I been doing lately? And I started systematically kind of hacking my brain, I guess. And I did that and it took me about, I think about six or eight months. And then I it just switched from all those dark minutes, those dark hours, those desires to kill myself, 
to the absolute opposite and uh, enlightenment. And uh, I think genetically, my brain is predispositioned to be skeptical. So every day I, I wrote a quote which goes, um, there's no quick fix to happiness. Happiness is a lifestyle. So every day I choose to be that version of myself. And the interesting thing with this arc, as you explain it, is that I found a jigsaw bit, a part of the puzzle that I'd been looking for, for over almost 10 years. And that is that when I was coaching clients, I wasn't able to move them as far as I could. You know, I gave them body language skills, 10 steps, uh, storytelling. I gave them death by PowerPoint. I gave them structure. I gave them like 25 bits of heavy, good content. But I was still unable to move them to where I wanted to move them. And, and they had the same problem as a lot of great musicians have, that they were almost dying before they went up on stage. They were puking from stage fright. And when they went up, they had such a hard time being authentic. But by me hacking my own depression, I realized that the stories we tell ourselves is the person we become. And the pathways they have created and the associations and the habits they have created in them, everything mounts up to them being either absolutely freaking awesome on stage or not being able to be who they want to be on stage. So I took that skill, took that knowledge, and I started coaching people in it. And now what I found was internal and external communication. Internal is how you've wired your brain and what you say to yourself. And external is all that we've already spoken about, storytelling, body language, voice. When you put those two together, when you put those two together, you're a rare, you're a rare person and uh, you can dominate as a salesperson, public speaker, leader, just human being, really. Thank you for sharing that. I think, uh, again, it's evident if um, people study your evolution and, and your, you know, listen to what you talk about, that that journey was, you know, clear that something very special had happened or was happening uh, to get you to that TED talk, maybe like that moment in time. And, and uh, if you hadn't made those changes in your own perception and your own stories, uh, that moment could have been very different. And, yeah. and I think when, when I see you now, anytime you're doing like when you're analyzing somebody else's talk and you post it on YouTube or whatever, they're just so uh, engaging and entertaining. And I think it's, because of the authenticity factor, but I think it comes generally from this extremely high energy of optimism and curiosity and uh, you being there for the audience, you being there for, um, for, for your viewers and your listeners and your students. And I think that is impossible to, to fake and uh, uh, the whole world feels it. Um, and we will continue to be huge fans of your work. Please continue your work because I think it makes a huge impact in people's lives. And uh, your own story, I think, is very uh, important because a lot of people believe, just like they believe they can't maybe become a great storyteller, 
they also believe they can't break those cycles of whatever's going on in which they are limiting themselves and their own happiness and their own potential. So um, yeah. that's why I said this is going to be very unique, cloud and clear. Um, and I, I really appreciate you telling uh, uh, your, your story, your recent story. Uh, and I hope that our friendship and partnership continues for, for many years. Well, thank you for a beautiful summary and awesome questions. And um, I couldn't agree more. I look forward to a good partnership and friendship in the future as well. Uh, well, the final word would be, final word would be that I, uh, when I think back to who I was six years ago and, and before that, I, I cry because I'd never ever want to go back there. But then at the same time, when I speak to clients and just normal human beings and just the average Joe, to me, it, it feels like they're living in a, like a haze in a fog where, where they don't really control who they are in life. And to me, self-leadership, like self-coaching, is the ability to be able to shift your state of mind from being present and in one minute became, becoming super motivated and within one minute becoming incredibly happy. And then within another minute becoming euphoric and then another minute becoming conscious and mindfulness. And within one minute, you should be able to shift any state that you are in in order to create the best version you can be for the situation you are in so that you can create the best result that you need and want. That, that, is, that is being human, not being a slave under marketing and under sales and under capitalism and what other people are. I'm not saying capitalism is bad. I'm just saying that a big part of it is that others want you to think the way they want yeah. you to think. So the thing I'd like to end with is just um, take control over who you are and who you want to be for the rest of your life and um, use that communication skill in your brain and that storytelling in your brain to become the best version of yourself. Yeah, I think that's, I'd, I'd like to, I could end with whatever, but I'll end with that. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, David J.P. Phillips, everybody, davidjpphillips.com and all over YouTube. Very special guest. Thank you so much for doing this. It's great to have you. And uh, our journey is just starting. And uh, we both believe in impact, customer impact, people impact. We do it slightly different ways in our own crafts, but, uh, but uh, the way we want to do it is very similar. And I, and I appreciate that uh, about your work. Thank you for being my guest. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics and don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.